Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist at American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So uh, uh, Vladimir Zelensky is taking a daring trip to the United States, arriving, I don't know, maybe he's already arrived, who knows, Um, uh, for the day. He's going to meet with President Biden this afternoon. They're going to have a joint press conference uh, at 4.30 Eastern time, and then he will address a joint session of Congress at 7.30 this evening. uh, this comes at an interesting moment for for two reasons. One of which is that the omnibus spending bill is basically about to be passed by the House and Senate and go to the president for signature, so they can all get out of town maybe in advance of the big snowstorm, so they can all get home for Christmas. Um, and uh, one of the many, if but not certainly, there's ten billion other things in the bill. Uh, things in the omnibus spending package is. Uh, 40 some odd billion dollars in uh, supplemental assistance to Ukraine to help fight the war against Russia. And uh, apparently Republican leadership is counseling Republicans in the House of Representatives to vote against the omnibus spending package, which like all such spending packages is full of really reprehensible and odious stuff that people shove in so that they can get money for their pet projects and things like that. And it is a it is a budgetary uh, policy and legislative disaster. But I'm sorry, this is the way that things are done now. And um, Republicans do it. Democrats do it. Republicans did it during the Trump years. Democrats are now doing it this way. And uh, the question is whether we're going to find ourselves in a weird position where um, Republicans end up voting against this uh, omnibus spending package. And the judgment of the chattering classes is that the Republican Party has turned on the war in Ukraine. Uh, and that its politicians have turned on the war, even though it's like, I, I don't know what the total amount of money it is in the spending package, but it's in the trillions. Am I am I wrong? For Ukraine? No, no, little... no. For the whole omnibus. <laughs> the whole omnibus is $1.7 trillion, I think. Okay, so roughly. this is 40, $47 billion for $47 Ukraine billion out of $1.7 trillion is like, right. what is that? Is that even 1%? I, I mean, I can't do the math in my head right now. It would be 10% of a We're never going to take know, the bait. It's like 2 or 3%. Okay. Yeah. Why? No you guys math. Can just do math on the fly, <laughs> and okay. it's a trap. Okay. Anyway, it's it's, it's, it, it's in the single digits as a percentage of how much money is being spent here, or if it's even in the single digits, I can't, I don't know. But this is then going to be looked at in this way uh, as it does. This mean the Republican Party is now turned has definitively followed Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and the psychotic wing of the psychotic part of the party uh, in this um, uh, Putin catamite direction. Uh, led by Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and the Sandbox at Fox News. Uh, or is that just an overreading? Because they're just going to vote against it because the Democrats are going to pass it. Like the, it'll pass, it'll pass the House with Democratic support. It'll pass the Senate with, I think actually it's, Republican senators will vote for it. So uh, w- what's what's your take? It's an overreading. A, a dramatic overreading. If that happens, if that's the reason. <clears throat> well, it's probably going to happen. I, I mean, Yes, there are members of the Republican conference, particularly in the House, 
who are hostile to the Ukrainian cause. Outright hostile, probably a little pro-Russian. At the very least, they want to oppose the things that people of good conscience support because that's edgy. Um, but that doesn't describe most of the opposition to this gargantuan travesty. I don't begrudge anybody who hates the budget process. This budget process is not how this is supposed to work. It's hideous. And everybody knows it. And there's plenty of stuff in there to hate. There's structural racism for the um, National Institutes of, of Health. Why? There's this, this weird Malthusian thing. Don Rep, Representative Dan Bishop identified a lot of this stuff helpfully. One of them is there's 575 million in there for family planning in areas where population growth threatens biodiversity, which is That's language, for, popu yeah. language for population, population control. control. Yeah. Which is one of the most destructive ideas of the post. Where do we have era. population growth? That where, where do we actually have population growth that is uh, that is threatening biodiversity? I believe population growth has slowed to below replacement rate in the United States. Therefore, oh, no, no, this is because don't actually have population States. growth. Yeah. Well, well, oh, that's, it's not where, the okay. well that's where population control has always been done in the developing world. Right. Where people have significantly larger families than in the de developed world for economic purposes. And this was a. And a white senior do-gooders want to want to uh, used to sterilize them against Literally their sterilize will. Sterilize people with brown skin, yeah. In the yeah. name of environmentalism, this is yeah. the population bomb. And so that's Very that's bad. in there, which is lovely. There's plenty of things to hate about this process, and everybody should hate it. It's designed to be hated. This is one of those the back in the remember the um, the uh, Simpson Bowles Commission, where they crafted uh, if you know this budget deal, and if that didn't fail, there would if that failed, there would be this set of triggers that were designed to be so atrocious, mandatory cuts to entitlement spending, to defense, everybody's ox got gored. It would never happen, right? Totally happened. That's exactly what happened. It was designed to be terrible and everybody made it so that the terrible, most terrible thing would happen. Put your bet on the most terrible thing happening because that's the most likely outcome. And this is but one of them. It's going to be really, uh, I mean, they're they're dumb enough to to do this because they're the, you know, wackadoodles in the GOP House conference. But it's going to be a lot harder to trash Ukraine and aid to Ukraine after Zelensky, if if they can figure out the security, gives a gives a speech to a joint session of Congress tonight. I mean, this guy just came from the front lines where he was rallying his troops. As we talked about yesterday, there's a lot of support for Ukraine in this war with Russia, and he's going to. He's a very good speaker. I mean, I think he's really going to be very moving and it's it's going to echo sort of Churchill, you know, when he came to the U.S. and gave a speech. I mean, this is going to be a big moment. And if you hear like the Matt Gates is whining and whinging about it the next day on Laura Ingram's show, they're going to look petty and foolish. They are, I mean, I already think they do, but I it's going to have an even more petty tone to it, given the risks this guy has taken with his own life and uh, the leadership he's he's uh, demonstrated since since the war began. The thing Look, about uh, what's happening with the with the Ukraine cause in the mind of certain of these uh, right wingers um, is that they are making it a part of what they see as the sort of liberal democratic grift, you know, um, and that it's like it's like they put Zelensky in the category with Fauci or something, you know, that he's this sort of uh, con man that that um everyone is falsely believing in and j that just advances i don't know yeah ne neoliberal uh uh, uh nonsense or, or or whatever yeah but i mean but but what what bothers me and concerns me here is that uh, nancy pelosi is doing her best to cheapen this on her end uh she sent out this letter saying that 
Zelensky's presence in the Capitol is a good time for us to focus on democracy. Democracy, democracy uh, shows how to honor our democracy, which sort of plays um, exactly into the narrative of of the right wingers we're talking about, where whereby sort of everything is everything else uh, if you are part of the establishment. Wait, but yeah, where, I mean, so where is she so- making a mistake though? She's appealing to the biggest part of the bell curve by saying, you know, the the Ukraine cause is a good thing. Most no, people I, agree no, no. with that. No, no, and no, no. And then no. she's also I, saying, me, hang on, let me finish the thought. And then she's also saying this whole, you know, goading you into saying, well, this is also, you know, democracy and this. And that's code for a lot of democratic rhetoric that nobody recognizes outside of partisan circles. So all it does is keep Republicans crazy. How does that not advance her objectives? OK, but let, let, maybe maybe at the tail end of her speakership, she doesn't have to go out owning the owning the cons. OK, what, what we don't say that what the Ukrainians are doing is fighting for democracy. We say they're fighting for their freedom. They're fighting for their country. And the fact that if they fail at this, the country will be swallowed up by its neighbor. This is a vastly more. um fundamental and existential threat than a threat to the working process of a functioning democracy. That is to take something very large. It's not that democracy is an important thing. Don't get me wrong. Take take something very large and very basic and play into the January 6th narrative. So screw her actually, because I I'm disgusted by the game playing of the of the Fox the Fox Congress children and I am disgusted by this like why is she why is she doing that let her let them be shamed that's what sort of Christine is laying out here that they're going to look like whingy little babies you know yapping at the heels of a world historical figure if things go well today and that's not a good look, and it's particularly not a good look for the party that, since the you know since the seventies, was the party that defended <clears throat> that said our purpose in the world in part was to defend freedom against totalitarian tyranny, particularly one that emanates from Moscow. Granted, that was a long time ago. Lots of things have changed. Lots of things have happened. But, you know, the, the 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 existential fight within the Republican Party or within the conservative movement is, are we really, are we now on the verge of surrendering the notion that we have an ev- almost evangelical mission to defend democracy, excuse me, defend freedom against tyranny? Because maybe we are, and therefore all sorts of things are going to be reset. The polls don't show it. The behavior of the electorate doesn't show it. This is all being done by backbenchers and the entertainment wing, people who are beneath contempt. And we therefore don't need to believe that that is where one half of the American political spectrum is. But if she wants to push them in that direction, that's a pretty contemptible thing to do. That's all I would say. On the, I, I agree. Uh, would you no, say the same thing about trying to emphasize wokeness? No, because yeah, well, if we were emphasizing wokeness over, I don't know, you know, you know, the I mean, invasion of member, Ukraine, healthy, healthy population in the Democratic caucus that wants nothing to do with uh, the reimagining of race relations that the progressive woke 
uh, faction of the Democratic yeah. Party does. And I think they're probably larger, albeit quieter. So but the, but is, the it, difference... is, it, is it disgusting to emphasize that without throat clearing about, well, most people don't really believe this. Only, well, the di- uh, but the difference is that the, the wokeness has absolutely embedded in every cultural and educational institution countrywide. And so people who actually represent districts where universities are, are ingraining this stuff and punishing people for, for wrong speak and wrong think, them not saying anything about it, even if they don't agree with it, is a kind of cowardice, I think. I mean, so, Biden I mean, used to do this. Biden used to do throat clearing about, well, most Republicans aren't MAGA Republicans. Well, now we're all ultra MAGA fascists. Republicans, yeah. MAGA Republicans. Yeah. Uh, now we're all best, fascists. It's best, best practice. Right. Well, but you're right. OK, and I, I don't deny that there may be a political gain for her, but that's why I say screw her. Fine. So there's a political gain. There's something more important going on here. We, of all people, we in this, you know, in this political conversation, I mean, we should be realistic and cold eyed and prudent about what it is that politicians do. But some things not only stop at the water's edge, like politician, you know, politics stops at the water's edge. But the question of what the United States is supposed to be doing in the world, it is not supposed to be using uh, you know, sort of like elemental, uh, you know, once in a century events like the effort of Russia to subsume and swallow up another country entirely with a completely unjustified war with absolutely no trigger, uh, that you're not supposed to then use that to play crappy domestic politics. Because it also rent low level MSNBC versus Fox domestic politics. So you're like, feeding the Lawrence O'Donnell wing as opposed to the Laura Ingram wing. Well, you know, good. Go ahead. Go out like that. Congratulations, it, Speaker Pelosi. And it weakens the argument in favor of supporting Ukraine. It it it, it makes the, you know, Matt Gates and whoever else seem prescient. They're saying, yeah, this is this is all garbage about January 6th and 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 owning the right. Um, and it's not a real cause. And that's not true. Look, Ukraine is there. They are the, the front lines of checking putin which we need this is this is what it's about well and the false equivalence is really i mean look we have plenty of problems of false equivalence on the right i think Noah is correct to point that out we don't we try to we we strenuously try not to do that i mean i think just the other day we were saying the democrats who who turned back on the you know all cops are uh, i'm trying not to curse as much the acab you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> defund police wing we we give them credit for recognizing that that's bad not just bad politics but bad for for public safety but I do think this false equivalence is especially, John's correct, morally egregious. I mean, the idea that you're going to say, oh, well, you know, our our opponents to of democracy on the right are just as bad as the Russians invading Ukraine. That's that's offensive. That is offensive. defense spending is the highest ROI in public spending right. that you can right. get. It produces not only geopolitical stability, which you benefit from materially, uh, whether you know it or not, uh, owning the the oceans maintaining open navigation of the seas and the commerce that transits it is the pillar of the long piece. And all this money goes to Alabama, Arkansas, <laughs> South Carolina. For real, yeah. it goes to defense manufacturers. Exactly, yeah. right. No, look, uh, not only is that unambiguously true, but you know we're, we're also facing a moment, again, talking about whether or not we want to be serious about things like we are facing a moment in which we are going to have to replenish our conventional stockpiles because we are we have committed them to the to ukraine 
and we got to make sure that we have them at the ready in case we need them. Now, granted, as 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 Abe said, they're needed there. They're being used appropriately in a proxy fashion to to essentially make sure that we don't need them here. And we have a perfect analogy in reverse in what happened in 2021 with the pullout from Afghanistan. Once again, it's very important to lay this out. Putin's green light to invade to invade Ukraine was our pulling out of Afghanistan. He Where, by the not, way, women of yeah. now recently this week just been barred from attending university. Right. Already been kicked out of elementary school. So, yeah, and uh, absolutely barred from educating yeah. themselves. Right. So, that's great. Thanks. Thanks. Biden. Yeah. There but was I a mean, piece again, in the Washington Post about yeah. how the Biden administration is terrified of Afghanistan hearings, uh, Republican-led Afghanistan hearings, and they should be. <clears throat> One of the things that um, they said on the way out the door, Blinken said, I think almost explicitly, I have to look up the quote, was that they had received assurances regarding the status of women. Were those assurances in writing? Who made them? Who received them? What was traded for them? And who would take the like Taliban at their word with regard but it was to their also very, of women? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I get Some of the advanced that. stuff on this, which I read yesterday, and now, of course, can't remember where I read it, in Semaphore or, the, or Punchbowl or uh, or, you know, a summary of the Washington Post piece is Blinken says they told us they had 12 to 18 months before the before before the collapse. Mark Milley uh, said the head of the Joint Chiefs said it was months if it was months. And now you have this question of like, who told them what? Was this a bad intelligence assessment? Was it wishful thinking or did, in fact, nobody tell nobody nothing? President of the United States said, I want to get out. Okay. And then Blinken goes to the CIA and says that we have 18 months, right? Do we have 18 months? We have 18 months. Just nod. You don't even have to just nod your head or whatever. You know, there was no intelligence assessment of the strength of the of the standing government in Kabul and the military there. That's no. why they're well, afraid. It was, it was... They're afraid because it's all it's all lies they're lying about how they had a serious debate about whether or not the afghan the afghanis could stand up and we know that because of what happened well, which this is, is that public knowledge it was 48 hours yeah this is 48 this is public knowledge I, rem I remember doing all this work and after the fall of kabul um yeah. intelligence assessments as i recall in march and april of 21 were relatively sunny about the prospect of the most of the at least the capital holding on and for 18 months or something like that but they turned by july when we had already when the wheels were already in motion and then there was this new york times piece updated on september 8th 2021 about classified intelligence assessments that the president was privy to about the prospect of uh the the taliban retaking the country within days of america's withdrawal so there were i mean they've seen they've been reported there were pretty uh not sanguine intelligence right. assessments but what i mean is like however you look at it now since we're not cursing so backside covering going on which is so there was an intelligence assessment that told the president what he wanted to hear and then there was a corrective intelligence assessment that told him what he didn't want to hear and somebody told blinken 18 months and somebody told millie four months and and whatever and all of that is all part and parcel of the of what happens when You've made your decision and you're backing and filling, looking for, you know, a justification and support. And that's why they don't want to have these hearings, because what these hearings are going to show 
is an entirely chaotic process that was, we're hearing about what a wonderfully consequential presidency Biden has had. Yeah, the grownups right? were not in charge in this case. <laughs> right. But not just that the grownups were not in charge, but that he made a decision. A rash and dangerous decision. A yes. rash and dangerous decision and could not be shaken from it. If they tried to shake him, we don't even know if they tried to shake him. They may have just been writing memos to file to make sure that when the con inevitable congressional investigation of the historian came around to see what happened, there would be some kind of document that wasn't, you know, Mr. President, as George Tenet said to Bush, this is a slam dunk, you know, about how Donald Trump's secretary of defense resigned in protest over the prospect of abandoning our Kurdish allies in the fight against ISIS. Right. I haven't seen anybody fall on their sword. Why should they fall? Why should they fall on their spectacle. sword? Honor, Why should they fall on their dignity, sword? Decency, pride, any number of. We're talking about Washington D.C. here, no? Well, that's number one, and number two. Wonder it's Washington. Number two, they all agreed with it. Whether you're looking to build a website for your business, your hobby, your podcast, or just for fun, Pair Networks is your go-to web hosting partner. Not only do we have the lowest domain price in the industry, starting at just 11 bucks, we've got hundreds of stunning website templates to help you stand out from the crowd. You're not a techie, not a problem. With our easy DIY site builders, you can launch your impressive website without any technical know-how. And when it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. P-A-I-R.com. Let's face it. We've been there 20 years. It's time for them to stand on their own. What are we going to be there forever? And as you say, well, as oh, you sorry. say, uh, Noah, defense spending or this kind of positioning where we've been for 20 years at very low cost is the highest return on investment we have in in the government. That our being there as a cork to prevent what happened in, you know, in Kabul and Afghanistan from happening was so cheap. It was so cheap. It was so relatively cost-free. And here we are spending, we're going to spend hundreds of billions of dollars, if not more, helping Ukraine stave off Russia. And that invasion would not have happened had we not pulled out of Afghanistan. There's the, also the- like they Jenga. Also they also don't, I mean, there's still a pretty uh, strong presence in the Democratic Party in its foreign policy wing that doesn't like to see terrorism as the existential threat that it continues to be across the globe, right? Remember, remember Obama with the, oh, ISIS, they're the JV team. There, There's a, there's a eagerness to dismiss that as something that we will one day again have to face, perhaps even on our own soil. And that part of it, that suited the forever war, we're not, you know, they have to stand on their own. That rhetoric suited the that wing of the party as well. They don't want to talk about good and evil in the world in terms of foreign policy. They want to talk about brokering deals with evil regimes because, you know, that's what the grownups do. Failing to recognize that they are not uh, on the same moral landscape as the people with whom they think they're going to negotiate, like Iran. So that suited that wing too. They're very, they're still very prominent in Biden's White House. And the whole right. approach uh, to de defense spending, by the way, while we're on it, you know, has gotten so crazy on that side. Defense spending isn't like other spending, where you say, okay, what's a what's a good number? What sounds like a reasonable number? Okay, uh, X number. Now, what 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 can we fit in? Uh, for that number what can we slot in to get to that point that's not how you do defense men you go what on earth do we need you know yeah what and, are our needs what are our personnel right. needs what are our 
what are our material needs and is there has there been sufficient technological innovation to upgrade what do we have to upgrade what do we have to build right. up what do, yeah. yeah and what will we need in 20 years not just in 20 right. months because the the future wars are also the thing you have to start planning for and spending on now right and it's very hard to do that and we've made terrible and incredibly costly mistakes in terms of developing that kind of future tech that we don't have yet and so you know people are very embarrassed it, it it's a it's a high stakes game but but at, again getting back to this the return on investment is just mammoth and vast it's like all these what if questions you know what if we had responded more aggressively to the Kobars tower bombing in 1996 what if we had done things that would have uh, occasion that would have led Osama bin Laden not to think that we were a weak horse and that he had a free shot at us instead of, you know, doing what he did. And then, you know, in, it took a decade, but meeting his end and seeing his movement, you know, crushed and splintered and destroyed. Um, you know, if, if the nineties had gone differently, there wouldn't have been a, a September 11th. If, Afghanistan had gone differently there wouldn't have been a February 24th or whatever day that was that the that the Russians invaded invaded Ukraine and that's what defense spent that's in part what not only defense spending but the mindset that says we need to be able to project our power because if we project it at the right moment in the right way there we will we will spare ourselves untold horrors later and hopefully we don't even know what those horrors are because we spared ourselves from them okay let's take a break and hear from our friends at fire do you know only one in three americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights that's why fire is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all americans no matter where you're from or what you believe, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE, knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. Okay, what do we want to talk about now? What do we got? The, the return of masking. You, your mayor ah, is all yes. all in, except when he's partying in the evening. And during the daytime, he masks. And at the parties, he takes them off. Yeah. Which is uh, just, we're back to the hypocrisy masking era, I guess. And children. <clears throat> School right. districts in my state, at least one, Passaic, um, which is not near me, fortunately enough. It was uh, reimposing mandatory masking on students and only students. Yeah, there were, there were, I, I'm on, you know, I have this thread of parents at DCPS schools, and there are some elementary schools that were still this, this year making elementary school age children, third and fourth graders eat their lunch outside, even after it's been very cold here for the last few weeks. And some parents asked like, why is this the policy? And to, to Noah's earlier inertia point, a lot of the teachers are like, oh, well, that's just what we've done. That's just for safety. And it's supposed to be optional. Masking is supposed to be optional in our school system. But there are, you know, COVID crazies who are trying to mask children again. And, and this yeah, is but something it's not, we need it does, to It's not explicitly no longer about COVID. Right. It's about the triple-demic. Triple right. Which is yeah. seasonal flu. Mm -hmm. So okay, forever. So, yeah. So we're losing. On the one hand, we have a new thread. I was going to say we've lost the thread because... 
The masking was about preventing a worldwide pandemic that could kill millions of people. And we are now masking to prevent the transmission of flus that which is fine, a, but should be always optional, especially. But it for is optional now. But yeah. that's well, the world. That's... The, that's the world of difference here. Adams gave a press conference yesterday. Said everybody should mask. It is not mandatory. It is not mandatory. The question is, what institutions are going to do? Private institutions. Will the Broadway for in New York? Will the Broadway theater announce that everybody has to mask again? Will movie theaters say you have to mask again? Will museums say you have to mask again? Just here. And then, of course, we do get to this coercive effect on children, right? And and this is where it gets interesting because, as we've been saying forever, COVID has spared kids. And so masking for COVID is a particularly uniquely foul thing to have done that has had terrible consequences on on kids and their socialization and their learning and all of that. But RSV does not spare kids, right? And the flu does not spare kids, but they're not fatal. Should a parent therefore have the right to say, I really don't want my kid to get, R- get, kid to get RSV, so I'm going to put him in an N95 mask? Because I'm scared of what it'll be like when he gets That's a it. parent's choice. Absolutely. Totally. totally. But yeah. they shouldn't be able to ask. And this is where you see, I see, I hear a lot of these stories from fellow parents. They shouldn't be able to say, I don't want my kid to get RSV. So every other child in my child's classroom should ask. That's where the right. pressure is brought to bear on, on institutions. Right. I mean, exactly. I think there are, there are two issues here. One is that we've discussed a lot, which is that um, a lot of leaders want to reinstitute or institute mask mandates at any given opportunity because it's it's a way of asserting power and control um that's one problem the other problem and it is a problem is even if there's not a mandate i don't want to live in a country or in a city where the mayor's telling people to mask up for, because of the flu that's a good this point. is not how we lived before this is insanity this is a cultural sickness it's got to stop or it doesn't See, this is a very, I mean, this is such a deep issue that we could probably spend, you know, 100 hours and not get to the bottom of it. But um, when, you, when you have people saying, okay, it's time to mask up because, um, because RSV is around and it can make kids very sick. On the one hand, as I say, okay, well, that does actually make kids sick. On the other hand, we're stepping into a zone, a way of living that is transformative. Fear-based. Well, it's not just fear-based. Like, there's all kinds of things. Like, well, it's Japan. We don't like, know we're going to become good Japan for kids to get RSV. Like, yeah, I think, right, right. I think. Right. It's I mean, I, I don't mean it's not. It's awful. Like, you know, look, I have kids. You have kids. Like, it's awful when they get really sick. But we don't know what's been done to their immune systems by the avoidance of illness for two years. Like, right. I mean, we I'm do, not. I don't, yeah, go ahead. Hmm? I mean, we do actually. We have significant evidence of the degree to which it's um, it's pr- resulted in worse infections. Part of the reason why we have this outbreak of, it, at the scale and with the severity we do is because so few were exposed to right. r- casual rhinoviruses right. and coronaviruses yeah. over the course of the last two years. But I don't. I don't know how fear based this is because I would. I would bet. No way to prove this. It's unfalsifiable. But I would bet a lot of this wouldn't be happening. If it probably wouldn't be happening at all, if the red wave materialized. 
if Republican voters had shown up, demonstrated their electoral power to defenestrate Democrats who overreach, they would be a lot more cautious about their social engineering designs, um, which suggests that it's not necessarily this deeply held conviction that's entirely focused on public health and the science, whatever. Um, it's they can get away with it. I think they can get away with it. They have no evidence to suggest they can't. So why not just go for it? I, I'm i not sure that, just to use Eric Adams as, as an example, I, I don't think that he wants he wants this. I mean, I think you're right that, uh, you know, had Zeldin left well, no, the yeah, hurdle. Yeah. Not, not even that. I mean, the, one, the constituencies yeah. that would be lobbying him for this. Yeah. And that he's acquiescing to against, as you think, against yeah. his his instincts, he would resist it because he would have evidence to right. say, well, we can't. There's there's too much backlash. Right. And the backlash in in red. So the places where we're hearing about this are 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 blue places. Right. I mean, it's New Jersey. It's New York. It's Los Angeles. It is places where where this culture of virtue signaling and wearing a mask almost as a, you know, campaign and party membership sign. But it does dovetail with this mainstreaming of health neurosis that got mainstreamed in part because people said it was like, you heard people say this jokingly, it's like, Ah, you see, for 20 years, I've been washing my hands 10 times a day, and now everybody knows I was right to begin with, right? I've been a germaphobe forever, and now germs are going to kill you. Oddly enough, of course, corona is not a germ-based disease, right? It's a virus, but, you know, aha, now everyone will follow my lead. I was just fashion, I was just forward. Like, I knew, I knew the truth here. And and as I as I think as this is why this is so deep a subject, what is this about? I mean, I could go into you know this is what happens when you have the death of religion, and therefore people don't believe in the eternal chain of life and life after death, and and you know that you're all sorts of stuff like that, and so therefore um, you know that your daily existence becomes so fundamental. You know, there's nothing else. There's no other plane. There's nothing else but your life and, all, you know, including everybody else. It's, that's all you have. You have nothing else. I mean, you know, as I say, you could like go to 100 million different places. But uh, this just came you, across my transom and it's yeah. irrelevant that I want to bring it to the table. <clears throat> so um, Ron DeSantis's press secretary, Christine, Christina Pushaw, says Biden's COVID response coordinator, Dr. Aisha Jha, finally admits what we already knew, quote, there is no study in the world that shows masks work that well. And then um, Washington Post reporter Aaron Blake tags it. And I like Aaron. He's, he's a good reporter and, and pretty neutral. Says, well, the context of that remark was referring to cutting infections by 30 to 80 percent. Masks don't work that well. Well, good. That's exactly the point she's trying to make. If masks do not cut infections by 30 to 80 percent, maybe they only cut them by 25 percent. Well, then that's not sufficient to justify guidance, let alone mandates. Fact check, misleading. It's 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 it's, 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 it's it lacks context, but the context 
I wish Christina would have included the context, but the context probably was just of too long a sentence to tweet, but it justifies exactly her remark and her conclusion. And we know we know this. We actually know this pre-COVID. There were there were masking studies done in Europe and the U.S. that sh- that showed a similar thing, like that that uh, particularly with the kinds of masks that weren't N95 or that weren't you know seal that didn't seal around your around your nose and and mouth. That they there was always concern about transmissibility with regard to these masks and certain viruses. And so I mean there was a whole there was a guy I reviewed a book you know a year or so ago for the Free Beacon about masking and and there's just has never been sufficient evidence to justify it except in acute moments of emergency and then they should be rejected. And for kids there was never never a justification. People who don't find masking to be onerous or burdensome or annoying just don't understand people who do. And I'm one of the people who do. I want to rip my face off when those things are on me. They I can't totally breathe. understand it. I, 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 it. It hurts. It's annoying. I can't stand having them on. If you you like it, God bless you. But for me, it is maddening. I would rather not leave the house. Right. Okay. So there are people, uh, I have a kid who's like this, who love a weighted blanket. You know, the weighted blankets weighs 15 pounds. They feel it's very, it, you know, they, 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 it makes them feel very secure and warm. And they like the feeling of the weight on their body, helps them sleep and all of that. And then there are people like me and I feel like I'm in a coffin and I, and I, you know, I, I it, it's claustrophobic and horrible and I can't imagine ever, ever doing it. I don't gainsay that my children are made to feel secure by the, or whatever, that they sleep better with it. They're not making me wear a weighted blanket. I understand that there are people for whom this is an incredible security blanket, the mask. It makes them feel secure in a world in which they feel like everything has gone out of control. I don't really think it's healthy, but what do I know? It's no skin off my nose. Right, as Christine said, the only skin off my nose is the imposition on on you. And the question now isn't really whether health officials are going to mandate it, because I don't even think that I'm I'm not even sure that a court anymore would allow would allow a mandates if we do not have an immediate health emergency in the form of death tolls. Like that's right. Well we do have um, an immediate health emergency. Right. That I was gonna say they no, keep I know, they no, keep no, extending right. it's a the declaration emergency. of emergency. I mean yeah. that's the legal predicate. Yeah. Legally, right. they're within their rights to do it until that emergency is removed, right. which it should have been months ago. Yeah, but the but the but the mandates, but the only wait a minute, let's just go back to the White House. So the only real effect that the white that the administration's mandates had on American life, if I if I understand this correctly, or the 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 executive branches was on travel, isn't that right? Like. Right. Planes, you had trains, to wear them on trains and airplanes. You had to wear and that, federal, that, that they yeah. had mandatory authority over. They don't have mandatory authority over anything else. Everything else is state and locally based. But the, so, the health recommendations, as we talked about yesterday, the health recommendations right. that the I CDC know. made are what fo- yes. are what are followed by local communities nine times out of ten. No, under uh, I understand, but I'm saying that the mandate, which is what right. So we're now in a position where, yeah, so Eric Adams can walk around saying you should all wear masks and we'll see what what happens. Like, again, we also have the incredible fact of the class-based distinction here, which is like when you say people need to mask up all day, you're talking about children and you're not a child and you're talking about the wor- American working class that is mm-hmm. the service know, customer facing, yeah. right? Yeah. 
we don't have to wear masks. We sit in our apartments all, you know, whatever. We can sit in our apartments all day. The entire chattering class on Twitter, the professor, all that, they don't have to wear masks. Or maybe they wear them, you know, a couple hours a week when they deign to teach. If they deign to teach off Zoom, you know. Well, could I, um, could I, th- this yeah. is the other, like, look, I, I, my friend Phil Wallach at AEI has just pointed out yet again, like it, they need the proxy voting, the, the number of people who work in the federal government who don't have to show up and do their job compared to the number of working class people who have all throughout the pandemic remains this big chasm. I mean, I said the other day, almost 80% of CDC p- folks don't show up in person for their jobs. We still have proxy voting in, in Congress. That's ridiculous. It's allowing for all kinds of, you know, nefarious stuff to go on with elected yeah. representatives who should get their butts in their chairs and vote in person. So those those are the sort of inertia things that I worry, as, as Abe said, these could become kind of permanent ways of doing business in this country that aren't good for the country, right? They're, like the I mean, disaster. You, yeah telemedicine and uh teletherapy um who are these what, what they're this class of people that don't have to go to work because mm-hmm. supposedly in the interest of, of public health and public safety they're going to madison square garden they're going to the opera they're That's going out right. all the time they just can't meet one-on-one with someone in their office each day it's preposterous it's sick yeah now no we talked yesterday about this and then Noah wrote a very good post about it uh the harvard harris uh poll uh from a couple days ago, the number one most trusted or most liked institution in the United States is Amazon. Why is Amazon the most trusted? Because you, don't have you to want something house. and someone comes and they deliver. No, but it's that's part of it. Well, that's every, the, 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 the Wally future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazon is a company that provides service, services, hundreds of thousands of people are now working for Amazon, delivering, doing this, doing that, all that stuff. Um, They're the people that other people in America like. Go ahead, make them wear masks again. Make those poor people, make those people wear masks, you know, force them into that, that kind of position. You know, it's like in a weird way, no wonder... Latinos in the United States, you know, this this shift has been so pronounced even in the, you know, in the in the last two elections when, you know, which which are both implicated COVID. Latinos are more likely to be front-facing workers. Like they know, they know that the Democratic Party was basically, you know, oppressing them and oppressing their kids. You know, I, I mean, that's a that's a this that's a whole. Real and thing. then the covid reckoning, which we need. Yeah. Has been postponed, delayed, mm-hmm. not canceled. It will never be canceled. And it will as as, as you know, a constant litany here is our politics for the next 10 years will be dominated by the overhang and the after effects of covid. And it's very, it'll be very hard because it won't be front of mind, as we now say. Like, won't be, it won't be the thing that people tell posters that they voted on. But we'll see what happens over the course of the next twelve to eighteen months. I will say, I do believe that Biden and his people, and even people like Adams and stuff like that, if they have any feel uh, for this, uh, know that they're playing with fire. That's why Biden just, hasn't said hasn't made speeches about you know, oh no the RSV everybody be careful, you know cough into your hands wash your hands wear a mask whatever 
He's not going there. He could give a speech any day. I'm going to add one final yeah. point to my rant, my yeah. my my masking and lockdown theory of everything. Um, you know why Amazon is so popular? Because you know who doesn't provide service anymore? In-person retail outlets. Um, and this is also because of this tremendous fall off in the value of human interaction, which is continuing. And we are on a precipice here. Um, it is a devaluing entirely of being out and around other people. And that is simply not a healthy way for society to function. Well, it's also this weird thing where, of course, the companies and businesses took advantage of a change in the sort of moral uh, or sort of the thematic uh, temperature of the United States. And they were like, oh, great, you know, we're hotels. We don't have to wash sheets every night anymore. We'll just put it and say, this is for COVID. Of course, they would prefer not to wash sheets well, But every before day. that, it was for the environment. Hang your towel right. so we don't yes. have to replace it. This yes, is, but now it's COVID or like, or, you know, or this is a great way for stores, which are suffering, not to not to employ people. Right. It's like, need okay, you know. scan the QR code. Yeah, exactly. Assuming you have a smartphone. If... I don't have a smartphone. Screw you. Yep. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's uh, Wally. It's Wally. Go rewatch Wally. <laughs> oh, but that's the part of Wally nobody likes. That's the, I mean, I, the, the fat people on the ship. Nobody well, that's the point, that though. It's like Everybody you don't know how you, it's the, the frog in the pot of water. Like yeah. it, you don't realize you're boiling. Yeah. So you're floating around in space with a screen attached to your head. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, we'll be back tomorrow for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.